You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Well, someone asked me a few weeks ago if I knew what a good sermon was. I don't know how you'd take that question if it was asked of you, of your profession. Um, to the cook, do you know what a good meal is? <laughs> to the mechanic, do you know how a good running car is or what it's like? And I said, well, go ahead and tell me. And they said, well, a good sermon starts out with an really amazing introduction. It draws you in. It engages you. And at the very end, the conclusion challenges you and inspires you to live a better life. And a really good sermon has very, very little in between the two. So I'm not going to follow that today. (laughs) I think Carl's reading for us in prayer is a great introduction. And uh, I do have a story to tell you at the end, which will Uh, help us conclude. We've been talking about Difference Maker, and I wanted to stop at this part of the series and give us really the driving force behind why we want to make a difference in our world. Last week, I alluded to it by saying it's our conversion to Christ. It's the day that we say yes to Jesus and respond to the gift of salvation. That's the driving force behind why we do what we do. It's not waiting for someone to give us more or someone to bless us more or for God to answer every one of our prayers, perform some kind of miracle for us. But because he's saved us, he's taken our lives and given us eternal life and he's made us whiter than the snow. That's the impetus or the driving force or the why behind why we make a difference in our world. And I submit to you today that the greatest difference maker of all times is Jesus Christ. We've been using this verse for our series. Let's read it again today. Acts 20, verse 24. Let's read it with our best 1122 voice. Here we go. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. What matters most in our life? Well, according to the scriptures, that our life is making a difference. Now, we're loving God with all our heart, with all our mind, with with all our strength. That's the work part. And then we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're going into all the world and preaching the gospel. We're going into the highways, the byways, the lowways. And we're letting people know about the grace of Jesus Christ. Jesus was different than any other man. His love changed the course of history. He is the ultimate difference maker. And the cross, as Carl shared, was this unconventional method to display the love of God. In this series, we've learned that God is a giver, and he gives through people, and he, and he gives to those who are generous, and those who pay attention to need, and those who are obedient, and those who follow a holy ambition, and those who are willing to give, even if it's all that they have. But when their Lord is whispering or compelling you to do so, that you give. Matthew 20, 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to do what? And to give his his life as a ransom for many. Now today, I want to take some of you back maybe to Sunday school. Or some of you to a theology class. Or maybe if you went to seminary. This is Doctrine 101 today. And for some of you, this will be brand new material. For some of you, you will say, wow, I've never heard that before. 
But I want to take us to the roots of Christianity because Jesus is the ultimate difference maker and calls us to follow his ways. He said, you'll be blessed if you do the things I said. If you follow after me and you obey my commands, I mean, I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to bless your socks off. You're not going to be able to understand it. You want to do life your way? Well, you're going to have some problems. If you want to do it my way, you're going to be blessed. Jesus is distinctive. Matter of fact, at the surface, other religions sound like Christianity. If you listen, it's, well, that's good. Sounds like Christianity. It's very similar to Christianity. But always ask people this question. I'm going to help you. Whether it's somebody in the break room or somebody in the lunch room or somebody at the lunch tables or or, or somebody at, at, at your gym where you work out or somebody in the class on your campus or maybe somebody in your neighborhood. They'll tell you, oh, yeah, Jesus, awesome. Oh, great prophet, great, great. Oh, he was, he, he was great. Ask them this question. Maybe they'll knock at your door with, with a white shirt and a black tie. Or maybe they'll be in a suit or a, or a dress with their hair up in a bun, and they'll, they'll come to your house. They'll have a magazine. They'll have a booklet. They'll have something for Ask them this question. Is Jesus God? And it will always stop. Well, no, let me, let me tell you who he really is. And, and they'll, they'll talk about this great man, this prophet, this this, this wonderful difference maker, they'll even tell you that, oh man, he, he blessed people and he was so kind. And no, 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 ask them, to, is Jesus God? And that will usually stop the conversation because Jesus is crystal clear about who he is. He says, I'm the Son of God, I'm a part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity. And one day in the temple courts, Jesus' identity was questioned by the Jewish leaders. They're always trying to oppose him. They're trying to trip him up. If you read through the Gospels, you'll see it everywhere. And when they asked him, what's your connection to God? He said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Now, this is radical because these Jewish leaders knew that there was one God. Couldn't be two. It couldn't be Father, Son. It's just one, one, one God. And they also understood this. There could be no other gods before, before him. And here's Jesus walking around saying, uh, if you've seen God, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen God. And people were, are you, are, that's blasphemy. And people were threatened by him. Matter of fact, threatened so much that they wanted to kill him and have him erased from history. But in the book of Colossians, we see in, in chapter one, if you have a Bible, I'm going to be in a few verses of Colossians, kind of good to circle. You might already have these verses circled. I know they're in your notes as well. But in Colossians 1.15, Paul says, The Son, referring to Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And then a, first verse, a few verses later in Colossians 1.19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his what? All his what? All his what? Fullness dwell in him. So everything that God is was, was, was funneled, this is a miracle, was funneled into a human form. Wow. The God who said, let there be light and light appeared. The God who took dirt and put two holes in it and breathed into it and a man came forth. The, 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 the God who created the heavens and the earth and said, let there be birds, let there be fish. Let there be air, oxygen, and the, 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 the space atmosphere. I mean, this, this God is an incredible genius when it comes to his creative ability, and yet he says, I'm going to take all that I am and funnel it into this one being that I'm going to create 
to a virgin named Mary, and she's not going to even have a guy sleep with her, and there's going to be a baby. Anybody want to just stop and say, whoa, I do. I want to go, how do you do that? I went to science class. I want you to know I was paying attention that day. They talk about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees and the moon of above and the thing called love. I was there paying attention. This is how babies are born. I was, I was mesmerized. Whoa, dude, really? Yeah, well, my dad had already had that talk with me, so I kind of knew. I leaned over one of my friends who hadn't had his father have the talk, and I thought, oh, man, this is cool. I know something he don't know. But, but then when I became a Christian, somebody told me, yeah, that happened supernaturally. I thought, wow, God overshadowed her, and Jesus comes out. And inside of this little baby, six pounds, seven pounds, eight pounds, nine pounds, we don't know how many pounds, the fullness of God was in there. I'm, I'm sorry, I got I to catch up because that's amazing to me. For in Christ, Colossians 2, 9 and 10, the fullness of the deity. What's the deity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are you kidding me? Even though he's the son, inside him is the Holy Spirit. And even though he's the son, inside him is the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inside Jesus. Whoa! And everywhere he walked, God's fullness dwelt. Everywhere he walked. He's the head over every power and authority. In other words, he's so powerful that even when hatred tried to rule and reign in the planet, his love was greater than that power or that negativity. His love was greater than everything, and his power was greater. And, and, and I know we have uh, uh, North Korea, and, and, and we have Putin, and we have Trump, and, and, and we have uh, Feinstein, and we have uh, uh, Mayor Lingle, and we have you know, county supervisor. I mean, I know we have people in places of power. But according to this verse, Jesus is more powerful than all of them put together. In his pinky. <laughs> I feel good about that. I want to serve a Lord who's greater than me. I want to serve a Lord who's greater than the strongest, wisest. I want to serve a Lord who has a higher IQ than anybody on the planet. And God looks down and he says, uh, I'm impressed, not really, but uh, with, with your ingenuity. Come on. We got to have a God who's bigger than us if he's going to redeem us from ourselves. This is very significant because if Jesus was not God in the flesh, then his death on the cross would be no different than thousands of other people who have, of Jewish descent or Roman descent who died on the cross and were crucified thousands of years ago. There'd be no difference. But Jesus' life and death and resurrection allow him to be the ultimate difference maker. If I'm a little pumped this morning, it's not just because I'm hyper. I'm, I'm pumped this morning because I'm still excited about the cross. I'm still glad that I'm saved. I'm still glad that God would take a sinner like me and redeem me. And some of you are going, oh, Lord, if he's calling himself a bad sinner, I must really be something. <laughs> but no, we're all sinners. Some of you say, well, my sin's not as bad as that guy. See, that's what we call comparison. And we like to compare because when we compare it, it makes us look better than the guy next door. Like, oh, he's bad. He kicks the cat and beats the dog and beats his wife. So I feel better than that. I'm, I'm not as bad as he is. Listen, 
all sin falls short of the glory of God. All sin, whether it's 1% sin or 99% sin, is still sin. Isn't that good? Yeah, we're all sinners who need a Savior. Everyone. Everyone. Yeah, well, my neighbor, he's a good guy. Well, without Christ, he's not that good. Come on. Somebody say, well, don't, you don't know my neighbor. He's judging my neighbor. I'm not judging your neighbor. I'm judging humanity. All of humanity falls short of the glory of God. Read Romans chapter 3. And everything in the trash can stinks from the oldest trash on the bottom that's a little saucy <laughs> to the brand new trash that you just put in. Everything from the lid down stinks. That's it. That's good theology right there. The cross made it possible for you and me, for us to be forgiven of our failures, to be saved, to be justified in the eyes of God, and to be pardoned from our punishment. Because the Lord took upon Jesus all of our sin. Now, back in AD 30, no one would put a cross on the wall. No one would have a building built and stucco a cross into the front of the building. No, no, no one would wear a necklace with a cross on it or have earrings with little crosses and little diamonds or little emeralds or little butterflies. I mean, the cross was a symbol of the most cruel, cruel and, and, and harmful and shameful uh, form of death that was, 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 was anywhere. I mean, to wear a cross would be ludicrous. A cross was a symbol of the ultimate humiliation and defeat. It was a symbol of unbearable pain. No one would put it on the back window of their car. Or a not-of-this-world sticker with a cross in the middle. Or a little cross with a boy kneeling down. I mean, if they had cars back then, uh, maybe they put them on chariots, but they wouldn't have put it on anything because, because nobody wanted to think about the cross. But the cross, in your notes, expresses the limitless extent of God's love. Um, I did some Googling and some binging and tried to search for crucifixions today in 2017. I, I couldn't find any. Now, if you have a link to some crucifixions going on in the world, um, I, I, I put in Google and Bing, and I hit news, and I put my tool on that says the last uh, year, and I couldn't find any crucifixions. I found beheadings. I found people getting their limbs cut off. I found, found people getting stakes through the heart. I found people tortured in rooms, locked in rooms, and left to starve to death. I, I found all that. I couldn't find crucifixions. And what we do, do when we study crucifixions, we realize that they're the worst form of death because not only are they a form of death and ultimate pain, they're a form of humiliation. In Matthew 27, it says in verse 27 that the governor's uh, soldiers took Jesus and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head and they put a staff on his right hand, and they knelt in front of him. All of this is in mockery. All of this is cynical. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And then these four little words, they spit on him and took a staff and struck him in the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off his robe and put on his own clothes and they led him away to be crucified. A pastor and author, Max Lucado, said the soldier's assignment was simple. Take Jesus to the hill and kill him. But they had another idea. They wanted to have some fun first. So strong, rested, armed soldiers encircled and exhausted, nearly dead, carpenter Jesus. 
and beat up on him. And the scourging was commanded, the crucifixion was ordered, but who would draw pleasure out of spitting and hitting a half-dead man? You see, spitting isn't intended to hurt your body. It can't. Spitting is intended to degrade the soul because it does. They tried to feel big by making Jesus smaller than he was, by mocking him. And while the Roman government was convinced that the, the power of Jesus was stronger than the power of hate, Jesus in all of heaven was convinced that the power of love would prevail. Jesus in all of heaven was convinced that Christ going to the cross would make not only a difference, but an eternal difference. The second thing I want you to see is that the cross gives a physical example of God's love. Now, why would we love the way we love? Why, why do we in, encourage you as a part of our church to be generous in your life? Why, why would I stand up here and say, make sure you sign up to help us with our family fun block party that's coming up? Why would I, why would I say that our high school students in Lompoc deserve an incredible party called the post-game party? Why, why would I do that? Because it models for us a generous heart to our world but it keeps our hearts stretched. It takes a lot of work and a lot of finances. And while this is not a, a, a portion of the sermon that's called the announcements, we already had those in high-speed definition, uh, I, I want you to know the reason we do that is there's lots of churches that say we serve our community and stay inside the church. There's a lot of churches that have social media or ads in the paper that say, come to our church we're, we're, we welcome people here. Come here. You'll find hope here and love here and joy here. And, and that's all good. Don't, don't get me wrong. Our Facebook invites people. Our Twitter this morning said come to church or watch online. I mean, we, we, are, we are open for business. But it's easy to sit back under the steeple and say, come to us. Come to us. Come to us. And for the most part, the world's not coming. I'll tell you what, what we see happen and this is not just here, it's national, where people invite their neighbors and their friends to come with them, they come. Had a guy come here a few weeks ago. I met him for the first time in the parking lot. You know what he said to me? He said, yeah, I, I'm glad to be here today. I said, how did you get here? He said, uh, and he, I'll just use the name Joe. He said, Joe invited me. I said, great. He goes, um, I've lived in Lompoc five years. Not one person invited me to go to church. Finally, Joe said to go to church. I thought, okay, cool. Then Joe told me he was going to take me out for tacos afterwards. I thought that was a good gig. <laughs> Free tacos. I saw him again this morning. He was in church. Pretty cool, huh? Huh? I guess if you feed them, they will come. I, I don't know what it is, but... <laughs> but see, I don't want to be a church that just says, we love our community, and then can't say how. Or I don't want to just have a sign out front that says, come on in, you're welcome, or military welcome here. You know where I was the other morning? I was at the Rod and Gun Club watching the missile launch. It was early, let me tell you that. No, it wasn't early when it launched. It was early, we had to meet at the front gate at 4 o'clock in the morning. It was early. We went out there, and I'm hanging out. And I'm seeing one of our wonderful airmen talking to him, getting to know him better. One of our guys that leads our, our, our uh, distinguished visitors, he just had surgery on his shoulder, and he sent me an email. He said, hey, uh, we'll get you on the base. I said, that's great. I have a pass. Everything's good. Hey, by the way, by the way, how's, how's, how'd your surgery go? And he's like, whoa. 
And so I saw him the other morning. I said, how's your surgery? I was praying for you, man. You doing good? Oh, yeah, everything went well. Great to see you again. I'm just praying for a door with this guy. I don't know about his faith. I haven't gotten there yet. I will. I will. And you, you live with people that desperately need to know the joy and the love of Jesus. See, Jesus did not tell us that he loved us. He showed us. He showed us that he loves us. And that's what I want us to continue to be as a church and never stop doing that. We live heart first. We connect everything we do back to a soul. Why? Because people matter to God. I still remember at one of the post games, this kid had about four pieces of pizza, you know, two in one hand, two in the other, trying to eat all four slices at the same time. And uh, he just come off the bungee jump thing, and it was all cool. It's all free, and it's just great. If you've never been there, come and serve. It's awesome. And he said to me, hey, hey, um, are you like, are you the manager of this? I said, yeah. They call me manager of Fetterman. That's my job. And he said, and he said, well, do you work at the church? I said, uh, yeah, I work there. And, and then he said, why do you guys do this? Why do you guys do this? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I said, we have a Savior named Jesus, and he died on a cross for us. He goes, yeah, I heard, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More pizza going in. And I said, the least we can do is live for him. And the least we can do is when somebody asks us that question, we can tell them why. Because if Jesus would love us so much, the least thing we could do is throw you guys a party. Ah, See, folks, I, I still contend. We should love people so much, eventually they ask us why. And when they ask us why, we just give them Jesus. Don't give them politics. Don't give them left wing, white wing, middle wing. Just, just say, just give them Jesus. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down, what? His life's for his friends. Can I submit to you that Jesus didn't just lay down his life for his friends? He laid down his life for his enemies, that people that were against him. And while he's dying this painful death, he is saying these words, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against their account. Why does he do that? Because that was his mission. And who does that? The Son of God does that. And at noon, the whole country was covered, uh, Matthew 27, with darkness. And Jesus cries out to God, God, why, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? And many scholars believe because all the sins of humanity was placed upon Jesus. And in that moment, God's looking down and he's seeing his son. And he had to look away. Because he couldn't see impurity upon his pure son. He couldn't see impurity upon himself. Remember, the fullness of himself lived in Jesus. And for one moment, this, the, the sinless God, the sinless son, is carrying the sins of all of us from the first person to the last person. And God looks the other way. And Jesus, in verse 50 of Matthew 27, had cried out again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. And the minute he's dying, there is a veil in the temple that is torn from top to bottom. Now, some of you know about this veil. You went to Sunday school. Maybe you, you, you saw a, a model of the temple. But here's what Jesus did as he's gasping his last breath, as he's forgiving people that are mocking him. He's so powerful that this veil or this curtain between humanity and God was torn from top to bottom. You see, in the old days, only the priests could go in to the holy place. And they would put a rope around his ankle and a bell around his leg so he would have to, to shake his leg when he walked into the holies of God. Why? 
to make sure he's alive. Because everybody was afraid that if you got in the presence of God and you weren't purified and you weren't ready to go in the presence of God, if you had any dirt on you, that God would strike you dead. So if you stopped ringing the bell, they would pull you out real quick with the rope. And everybody knew as they brought their animals to be sacrificed by the priest for their sins, then the priest would go into the holy place and say, oh God, these people have sinned. Forgive them of their sins. I grew up understanding that in the Jewish faith. But then there was a day that I understood that when Jesus died on the cross, that that veil was torn. I don't need the priest anymore to go into the presence of God. I don't need the pope. I don't need the bishop. I don't need the reverend. I don't need the pastor. I can go in the presence of God in the name of Jesus because when Jesus died, and while he's dying, there is now access for me to get into the presence of God. See, God was communicating with all humanity that because of Jesus' death on the cross, from that point on, you could enter. You, you, you could enter in the presence of God. I, I had a gentleman tell me, he goes, man, if you knew the stuff that I did, there's no way that God would want me in his presence. There's no way. Well, it happens that I know the stuff that he's done. And I said, but, but you don't understand the power of the cross. There was a woman a few years, years ago, she came to our church. She used to be a prostitute before she came to know Christ. She said, I slept with men. I don't even know their names. I closed my eyes. I didn't even look in their faces. But I heard you say one time, and this is true, I heard you say one time that Jesus Christ could forgive me and make me like a virgin again spiritually that I could go in the presence of God through the power of Jesus and he would not reject me. She goes, I've been rejected all my life. I've had people, the only reason they want to be with me is because they were paying for something that I was offering them. And she goes, there was a day that I sat at the edge of my bed and I raised my hands and I cried out to the Lord and I felt his presence right here in my heart. And I knew because of the power in the name of Jesus that I could enter into the presence of God. It's what the Hebrews writers tells us in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, 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 confidence. That's what she had that one day on the edge of her bed when she raised her hand. That's what that guy had one day in his truck as he's waiting to go to a construction site to work. He stopped in his truck and he said, God, if you're real, fill my truck. I need you to be here with me, Lord. And he felt the presence of God in the midst of his life, in the midst of his day. Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us what? You ever read that verse and have it convict your soul? If that's the offer that I have because of Jesus, how come there's times where I don't draw near? Now, I'm not here to guilt anybody. I'm, I'm challenging my own life. There's times we get busy. There's times we're, we're competent and capable. We do things on our own. But the Lord is calling us into his presence that we can draw near. Why? Because of Jesus and his sacrifice. Rather than bringing our sacrifices to the priest and let the priest go talk to God on our behalf, our sacrifice is Jesus. And every time we enter into the presence of God, guess what we're doing? We're taking the blood of Jesus with us for he's declared that we're righteous and we're standing before the presence of God and he's listening to us. I don't know if anybody's like blown away by that, but that you could stand before the God of the universe and he would hear your prayer. He would care about your concerns. 
He would hear your cry. He would know your shame, your guilt, your disappointments, your fears, the stuff you think about when you put your head on the pillow at night or if you awake in the middle of the night with something on your mind that you can't shake. The Lord knows all about that. And so when we go into his presence through the blood of Christ, through the name of Jesus Christ, we are given an all-access pass into the Holy of Holies. We don't belong there. We don't even belong there. We shouldn't even be able to call on the name of the Lord. But because the Lord is an incredible difference maker and he loves us so much, our response to the cross of Jesus should be adoration and drawing near to God. That's in your notes. Our response, thank you, of the cross of Jesus should be adoration. That's why we worship around here. That's why we sing to God. Not to take up your time. It's not because I happen to like music. It's because we come to worship God the best way we know how. And you can do that throughout the week when you're driving in your car or whether you're vacuuming or whether you're mowing the grass or you're operating a drill press or you're operating the, the skip and drag heavy machinery, whatever it is you're doing. Or you're in school and you're between class and people are saying things that are vulgar and profane and you go, mm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to hear that. Lord, I bless your name. I want to enter into your presence while I'm walking to the next class and make sure, Lord, I stay awake. You know what I mean? You, you, you could do that in your life. Number three. Sorry, I'm a little pumped. The cross, the cross makes an eternal difference. A few weeks ago, I asked specifically if people were here that needed to know Christ, and 15 people gave their life to Jesus, and next Sunday we're baptizing people in water. And by the way, if you're one of the 15, you need to get baptized. Well, I didn't sign up. That's okay. Go to guest services as you leave and sign up today. We'll call you and tell you what you need to bring. And we'll dunk you under the water. And when we dunk you, then we'll, we'll say a long prayer while you're... No. <laughs> we pray before we dunk. Don't, don't, don't worry. Well, it's just water. You know, I don't need that. No, yeah. The Bible says be saved and be baptized. And Jesus got baptized. And the other thing that's cool about it is you get to make a declaration of faith in front of everybody that's here and, and it, it, it's just great, and I love it. We have a great time um, because the cross makes an eternal difference. For God sent Jesus, Romans 3.25, take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We like the part that we're forgiven. We're not too big on the part that God's angry with us, are we? Huh. But, but, the, but the beauty is that God has every right to be angry about our sin. But he takes his anger, and in Christ, he stops being angry, and he pardons us. For this reason, Christ is our mediator, our, our, our new covenant, Hebrews 9, 15, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Eternal inheritance? You know what that is? That's heaven. That's heaven. I've heard all kinds of people talk about heaven. I've been to funerals where people get up and speak. Um, we've had some here where people get up and talk and they give their own view of heaven. I've heard that heaven's a drag strip, a fishing pond, a soccer field, a golf course. It's a place where people make beer, where people make wine. I, listen, I've heard it all. And I got up once at a funeral after they talked about alcoholic beverages in heaven. And I just said, um, let me tell you what heaven is. I, I didn't belittle the people that spoke before me. I said, heaven is the uninterrupted presence of God. It's where we stand in the presence of God without our brains bothering us, without any cell phones, without any information, 
It's just you looking in the eyes of Jesus Christ at the center of heaven, the presence of God, the angels of heaven. And what are we doing there? Well, I know we're going to be cooking. Oh, oh, grandma's making biscuits. Well, you go right ahead if that helps you with grandma's loss that she's making biscuits. But let me tell you, if grandma is in heaven, she's looking in the presence of God and she's overwhelmed because she knows she shouldn't be there. And she's overwhelmed by the cross of Jesus Christ. She's overwhelmed by the glory of God and she's doing what everybody's been doing since people started going to heaven. They're worshiping the Lord. And some of you go, wow, gosh, three minutes of worship. When are they going to be done? Listen, for all, for all eternity, sweetheart, I just want you to know, sir, sir, I just want you to know, for all eternity, you're going to be worshiping God. And you're going to look around, and you're going to say, whoa, dude, how did I get here? And you're going to see Jesus. You're here because of me. And you, you, ask, you ask him, well, Jesus, why, why am I here? He's going to say, you're here because of him. You're going to point to God. You're here because of him. Because God sent me, for God so loved the world, he gave, gave his son. And then God's going to say, well, you're here because of the son. And the son's going to say, you're here because of the father. And that's, you're going to hear that. And then the Holy Spirit say, but don't forget me. Because if I didn't convict you about your sin, you couldn't be saved. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Read it, it's in the Bible. That's why I asked you earlier, people talk about Jesus. Ask them, is he God? Is he Lord? See what they say. And because you declare Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you, you are justified. What does justified mean? Well, people said, just as if I'd never sinned, justified, just if I'd never sinned. I was on the one, Highway 1 once. Uh, my right foot was a little bit heavy on the car. And uh, one of the finest CHP officers stopped me. And he said, uh, Pastor Bernie, how are you? I said, fine, I know him by name because we work every 15 minutes together every year. And, and uh, I called him by name, and he said, you know, last time I gave you a warning, uh, this, time, <laughs> this time I got to scratch out something here for you. You know, I said, well, praise the Lord. And, and he said, you know what he said, right? Right? You know how fast you were going. I said, well, however fast you tell me I was going is how fast I was going. And uh, he said, well, that's refreshing because a lot of people want to argue and but I had this gun right here, and he had it frozen, digital readout. I think there's like six numbers on it or something. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So I, I went to the courthouse to pay my ticket. And I was standing in line, and there was an LFCer standing there saying, um, hey, you don't need to stand here. He said, go, go see the judge. He'll let you off, man. Go see the judge. And I said, well, if I can go see the judge, how come you can? He goes, well, I've had too many this year. And uh, he said, traffic... Traffic school is an option, and, and I said, yeah, I'm thinking about that. I, I, don't, I don't know. And he said, well, I can't do traffic school because I've, I've done it this year already. And so I went up to see the judge. He called my name, Bernard Fetterman. I went, I went up there, and people were like, Shh, it's Pastor B, you know. And, <laughs> and I've been here a long time. People know me. And, and the judge says, uh, oh, Pastor Bernie, how are you today? Oh, I know the judge too. And he said, um, what do you have to say for yourself? I said, well, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. He goes, you're going a little faster, aren't you? Well, yeah, tell me your story. I said, well, I was on my way to Cottage Hospital to visit somebody. I only had so much time. He goes, oh, that's nice of you to go visit somebody, but you shouldn't go that fast. Even the angels don't travel that fast. But anyway, <laughs> and, and, and so he looked at me. He said, I'm going to let you go this time. Now, this is a long time ago. That was a $218 ticket. 
It'd probably be 418 today, but he, he, he let me go. Oh, and as I'm walking out the door, he says, That's, that was very refreshing to see you. And I said, you too. He said, no, your story was refreshing because everybody in here has a story of why the gun was wrong or they bring an attorney with them. And, and so just glad that you confessed your guilt. Folks, when you go before God and you confess your guilt, 1 John 1, 9, you confess your sin. He's just and able to forgive, just and able to forgive you and cleanse you. I was justified that day because the judge, it's a legal term, the judge said, you get to go. No 218. He said, oh, by the way, slow down. I said, okay, yes, sir. I got it. I got it. Huh? Tim Keller explained it this way. If a friend backs out of your driveway and runs over your mailbox, if you don't forgive him, then he has to pay for the mailbox. But if you do forgive him, then you have to pay for the mailbox. Somebody has to pay. I love what John Stott said. He said, the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God. In other words, when, when, when we sin, we try to put ourselves in God's place as we know more than God, that we can usurp his commandments or his authority. But while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for, that should be for, for us, that God, when we sin, we step into his role, but then when we sin and come to God, God steps into our role. That's what salvation is all about. That God takes us and forgives us. When we sin, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be, and God puts himself where we deserve to be. Jesus put himself where I deserve to be. Where? On the cross. So that someday I can be where I do not deserve to be with God in heaven for all eternity. That's why we're called to make a difference. Because God has changed us. He's changed our destination point. He's taken our names and put them in the Lamb's Book of Life that someday when they're going to open that book, they're going to see your name in there. And right next to it, there's going to be a bill for all the sins that you committed. Wait, there's going to be a, a bill for all the sins that you've committed, right? And right next to it, Jesus says, I'm buying because I already paid. I already paid. I already paid. I want to end by, by this, this point, and it's a story, and because it's late, I'm going to stick to my notes. In the late 1800s, in Newark, Ohio, there was a man by the name of Neil Johnson. He was married, he had a small child, and he was known as a good man. He served his community, but he had a bad temper. And one day... He got in a property line dispute with his next door neighbor, and it came to punches. They started to go at it. They started to fight. Neil's anger got the best of him, and pretty soon he polarized his neighbor, and his neighbor died. Neil Johnson, Neil Johnson was thrown into Ohio State Penitentiary and given life in prison. Now, back in the 1800s, if you were given life in prison, there was no parole. You didn't get out in 10 years or 15 years for good behavior. Life in prison meant life in prison. But something happened over time. The inmates came to respect him and admire him. The warden saw some great changes in Neil's life. He was a model prisoner. And there was an unusual custom that took place every Christmas day that all of the inmates would gather with the warden, and with the governor. And upon recommendation of the warden, the governor would pardon one 
inmate to go free. The only problem was that if you were given life in prison, you were never seriously considered at all. It was always people with lesser crimes with a few years. But after 12 years of being in the Ohio State Penitentiary on Christmas morning, all the inmates filed into the room, and they stood up. They stood in rows, and the warden stood up in front of them, and he called out one name, Neil Johnson, and there was silence. Neil Johnson, come forward, and there was silence. Neil Johnson, he said it again, and he walked back through the rows, <coughs> and he saw Neil Johnson stoop down, leaning against the wall, sobbing, and he was saying one phrase over and over again, there must be some mistake. There must be some mistake. And the warden put his hand on Neil's shoulder and said, Neil, there's no mistake. Today you're pardoned and you're set free. You're free to go. You know, when I look at the cross, <coughs> you too, I hope, you want to look at heaven and say, Lord, there must be some mistake. Why would you forgive me? Why, why would you save me? Why would you let me have eternal life? Why would you allow me to enter in the Holy of Holies? But I just want to tell you this. There's no mistake at all. And for us who are saved, we can say with, with great joy, thank you, Lord, that there's no mistake, that you've given me life, life eternal in you. And then if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, today would be a great day to say, Lord, I want to believe in you today. What else will save your soul? When that day comes and it's your last breath, what, what will matter the most? how much money you had in the bank, whether or not you owned a home, or how many homes you owned, or how far you went in your academic pursuits. And while all that is good, not one of those questions will be asked. The question will be asked, what did you do with my son Jesus? And I hope you can say, no problem, Lord. I've given him my life. I believed in him as Lord and Savior. I've let his spirit dwell in me. And I'm ready to meet the Lord. And man, I'll tell you, that will be the ultimate time in your life where you look in the eyes of Jesus and you say, wow, there is no mistake. There is no mistake. I am here. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.